Today's scripture reading will be taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 7 to 11. If you are using the Black Pew Bible, it can be found on page 64. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord we go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud will come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you as close to God as you desire to be? When you examine your own life, do you know him in the way that you want to? Or do you feel like there's a gap between you and God? My hope and my prayer today and through this series is that the Holy Spirit and God's Word will speak to each of our hearts and will truly move us closer into His presence. Because the truth is, if we're not as close to God as what we want to be, the limitation is not on God's part. It is on our own. In fact, I'm as close to God in reality as I truly want to be right now. But what I'm asking the Lord to do is to change my heart, to give me a hunger and a thirst for Him that is greater than all the distractions of this, of this world, all of the elements of this life, because ultimately, the joy that God created for us to experience is found in Him. And when He becomes our life, when He becomes our joy, everything else that we experience, every relationship, every gift, every trial, all becomes something totally different and transformed because we are united with Him. So the question I want to encourage you to ask yourself today is, are you as close as you want to be? Secondly, where am I and what's keeping me from moving closer? And then ask the Lord to help you take a step so that today, this week, over the next few days, you discover that you have moved closer to God in your relationship with him. Over uh, a time while we were away in the, in the U.S., this idea has really been um, weighing heavily on my heart. 
And as I began to read through the scripture and look at different things, I saw that there are patterns in the scripture, both in the people that are revealed and in, in some of the uh, descriptions, especially of worship in the tabernacle and the temple and, in, and also in Jesus himself, that all point to ways that we can move closer. Individuals who experienced a greater intimacy with God as well as a picture of how we are to come closer and closer to God. And so in your, in your bulletin, you'll have a little chart there, and it may not make sense today. I'm hoping over the next couple of weeks that these things and their parallels will all begin to fit together, and you'll, you'll see some patterns come out in the Scripture that help us examine where we are and also by the power of God's Holy Spirit and His Word, enable us to move closer in the presence of God. And so I want to encourage you, you, can, you to, as we go along, you can take a look at that chart. If you have questions about it, um, it's, you know, it's an illustration. It, it's not infallible by any means. Um, but if you have questions, feel free to email me. Maybe we can discover more things together because that's our goal. We want to move closer. So before we begin to really examine this, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who moves closer and closer to us. You have proven that in Jesus Christ. You chose to dwell among us. And for those who place their trust in you, you have given the Holy Spirit to live within us. So, Lord, you have done everything you can do or need to do for us to have union with you. But, Lord, would you speak into our own hearts? Would you reveal areas that are hidden, that are secret, areas that are disobedient, where we're keeping ourselves from you and from not allowing you to have the rightful place and sovereignty over our lives. Lord, I ask that you would enable me to totally get out of the way and that you would speak this day so that we hear from you and are changed. Thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're going to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. As I began to explore some of these patterns, one of the areas that really stood out was the exodus Um, There were categories of people that we see in the book of Exodus, part of which from the passage we just read, that give us some idea of five different categories that you and I can be in in terms of our relationship with God. Now, the first one is to be outside of Christ. Um, There are those who did not have a genuine relationship with the Lord, even though maybe they, they came out with Israel Um, they had no true faith in God and what he had done. And they were, in a sense, outside of the people of God or the congregation. And we need to understand that we cannot come to God on our own. That is why God had to come to us. I can't be good enough, you can't be good enough, because God's requirement is holiness, is righteousness, purity, And none of us are pure in ourselves. We're selfish and prideful and sinful. 
And so God came to us, and one of the most beautiful pictures of God coming to us is found here in the book of Exodus, both in the tent of meeting, then in the tabernacle, and later in the temple. It is God moving closer to dwell among us. And his requirement is righteousness for us to come to him. That's why there, was, uh, there were those were a warning that God gave about coming too close into his presence while he descended in that pillar of fire and cloud um, in, uh, on Mount Sinai. And he said, don't come and touch the mountain unless I invite you to come because it is holy. You see, the first step for any of us coming to a relationship with God is to recognize he is not like us. He is holy, 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 meaning he is set apart and set apart again and set apart again from us. And what the Holy Spirit has to do in each and every person is, first of all, bring to us a conviction of our own unholiness, unrighteousness of our sin that there's a separation between a holy, perfect God and me. And then the Holy Spirit also brings a conviction of because of that difference, a judgment had to be made, a price had to be paid. But in the faithfulness of our God, where we couldn't come to him, he came to us. And Jesus Christ came, perfect, holy God, living a perfect, holy life and offered himself as a sacrifice for you and me on the cross. He died the death that we deserved so that we could have his life. And he rose again from the grave to prove that he was victorious and that we can be united with him. And so that's the beginning point. Some in this room, if you're dead honest, you're outside of Christ. There's never been a point in time when you said, Lord, I'm going to trust in you as Savior. I'm going to serve you as Lord. And so that's one category that's possible for us here. The second category is the crowd or the congregation. That is people that are interested in God but rarely get past the doorway of God's presence. They have faith in God, but their experience with him always seems distant. That's who's described here actually in um, Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 10. It's the crowd, and we're going to look at them in just a moment. The second, or the third group is, you can not only, now I'm a preacher, so I have to alliterate everything because it's the only way I remember anything. So it may not be the best words, but maybe you'll remember some of them. The third category are the colleagues or the servant leaders of the people. And we're going to look at them in Exodus chapter 24. This group is involved in a spiritual life. They're involved in serving the body of Christ, the people of God. They're often very, very active in the things that they do But their lives are also crowded out by the voice of others and of the world. They're serving, but not necessarily surrendered. Maybe that's you. There have been many times in my life when that's been me. The fourth category begins to really radically change. This are the, these are the companions. Here we see a marked difference in a person's relationship with God. They think about him continually. They hunger to know him and to be in his presence. 
And this is illustrated by the person of Joshua, where it says he would not leave the tent of the presence, the tent of meeting. And then finally, there's the confidants. A confidant is one with whom God shares his heart and his plans. Their lives are defined by a passion for Jesus to be lifted up, to glorify him, and to love others as God loves us. That's the defining quality of their life. And when we look at Moses, that's exactly what we see. Because Moses was so passionate about the people of God, even though, as the scriptures describe them, even though they were stiff-necked, he was willing to offer his own life as a ransom to turn away the wrath of God. He did that because his heart was so close to God's. Now, here's the great news. That kind of relationship is not reserved just for someone like Moses or David or Abraham or Peter or James or John or Paul. It is the desire of God's heart for each and every one of us. He wants us to become so united with him through Christ Jesus that we become confidants with whom he shares his heart, his will, his purpose, his joys, his heartaches. The question is, do I want to move that close? And my prayer is that you will. Now, each of these um, categories are also somewhat illustrated, and we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, by the tabernacle and by um, the way God laid out the tabernacle because it has a perimeter wall. There's those who are outside and those who are inside. There is a gate which is, um, allows you to come in, the doorway, and right inside the gate of the tabernacle would have been the altar um, which represents Christ's sacrifice. And then as we go further and further in, we see a greater and greater intimacy in God's presence. And we'll begin to explore that in a couple of weeks. But what I want to begin with here is, is first of all, to, to tell you about the tent of meeting. And so there's a picture, I think the picture before this, yeah, here's a picture, uh, an artist's illustration of Mount Sinai, where... Um, God spoke to Moses and gave him what we call the Ten Commandments, those tablets of, of stone. It was the law written on there. And below that was, um, you see the, the, the cloud there. It was a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, which represented God's presence. And there was a tent that was pitched called the Tent of Meeting down at the foot of the mountain. And it's where Moses would go in and God would speak to him as, as two friends speak. And, and the scripture tells us that when Moses would come back out, his face would shine because he had been in the presence of God and it would glow. And what you see here is that the tent of meeting was outside the camp. Here in the, in the beginning uh, of when God set this up, the camp of Israel was um, adjacent to the tent of meeting, but not in the midst of their camp. When God instructed Moses, however, to build the tabernacle and they began to use that as the, the center point of who they were as a people and their worship of God, God changed the position so that it wasn't outside the camp, but what we see in the, new, in the next picture is that it was right in the middle of where um, all of Israel was encamped. 
God moved closer. You see, he started out showing the people of Israel that he is holy, and he says, you can only come so close unless you've prepared your heart, unless I've invited you. You can only come so close, and Moses he invited. But then God moved closer, not because the children of Israel deserved it. In fact, they proved how unfaithful they were during the time when Moses was up on the mountain, and during that short period of time, they made a false god and worshiped the golden calf. They're a good picture of us. But God moved closer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, ultimately, the tabernacle points to Jesus, to who he is and what he has done for us. That's why um, the scriptures, Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way that the sheep come in. I'm the good shepherd and the door. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Salvation is entered in through coming through Jesus Christ and him alone. But then as we move into the temple, we begin to see more of how that is displayed uh, excuse me, in the tabernacle with the altar, with the basin, with the holy place, where we'll look at this in, in a couple of weeks, but they all point to how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that he desires for us to experience. And so there, these patterns kind of overlap, and, and they teach us about how God is inviting us closer. But let's go and look at these five categories that we see in particularly in um, the children of Israel. And I want to start with um, the, con- the crowd or the congregation. Let's go to that passage of Scripture that Eunice read for us, looking at Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. But I want you to look at this next verse. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting. So in other words, if you wanted to seek God, you went to the tent, right? Seems simple enough. God was inviting you to come close. And there, um, through Moses' intercession, you would be able to get information uh, from God. He would speak to you, speak truth into your heart and your life. But if you wanted to seek him, you needed to go to the Lord. But what was the condition of the people of Israel? What did they actually do? Some of them obviously did this, or he wouldn't have recorded it, but I want you to see what the majority of the people of Israel did. Look in the verses that go on. It says, And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each one would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent... The pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. So God's presence came down in this cloud, and all of Israel could see that God was there and he was speaking. Now, most of us would go, I wish we had that today, right? Don't you wish you could have this visible representation of God, seeing him in this this pillar of fire or this cloud? Most of us long for that. But the truth is God has come closer than that for you and I. 
Because God has given us in his word his voice. He is continually speaking to you and to me if we will choose to listen. And more important than that, or equally as important, I should say, not more important, equally important, he's chosen to take up residency inside the, the, the spirit, the heart of every believer in his Holy Spirit. So God is closer today than he was to the people of Israel. But what was the condition of their heart? Let's, let's read the next verse. It said, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And remember, they've been invited to come and to seek the Lord. But this is what it says in verse 10. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his own tent door. Now, there's a big difference between worshiping at the door of your own tent, which is inside the camp and where you can see in the distance God's presence and going up to where God has revealed himself. There's a great difference between those two things. God was inviting them to seek him. They were choosing to stay safe. And I believe that the indication of the door of the tent is very significant because it reveals two things that often are true about you and I. Number one, they weren't willing to go pursue God on their own, to seek his face, even though time and time again in his word, he invites us to pursue him, to seek him. Jeremiah says, Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12. God's inviting us to do that. But if we're unwilling to go and to seek him, his plan, his purpose, and to come under his terms and conditions, then it reveals that we want something of God, but we're much more content to stay comfortable at our own tent. I believe the doorway reveals something else about our hearts as well because you notice they not only went or didn't go to where God was there at the tent of meeting and meet with him, they also didn't invite God into their own tent. They would stand outside the door. They would worship. So they had a relationship with him, but they were guarded. There was fear there, perhaps a fear that God would take away things that were precious to them. And they wouldn't invite God into their dwelling place, into their life, into their tent. There were secrets that were hidden that God truly knew about, but they didn't want to share openly. Maybe that's you today. If you examine your heart and your life before the Lord, maybe there's things you're holding back and saying, God, I can't trust you with this. I can't trust you with control over this area. I can't trust you with this comfort, with this pleasure, with this sin. Now, here's the thing we've got to come to realize. God wants the very best for us. And when he asks you and I to surrender our lives completely to him, it is for his glory but for our good. There's nothing in your life that you're trying to keep hidden, that you're trying to hold on to and say, Lord, you know, I'll go this far with you, but I'm not giving you this. There's nothing that you have there that if you don't give it up, 
he won't give you something far more fulfilling, himself. But you see, we have a tendency not to surrender to God, but to try to come to him on our own terms and worship at the door and say, God, I want enough of you so that you will bless my life, so that you'll give me the things that I want, so that you'll honor the plans that I have, but I'm not willing to let you into the inner parts of my heart, of who I am, of my secret sins, and I'm not really willing to pursue where you are either. Now, if that's where you find yourself today, here's Jesus' invitation. It isn't, you horrible person. It is simply, move closer. What God calls us to do when he convicts us of sin is to simply turn around and move in the other direction. It is the most beautiful thing we could ever imagine. God simply says, come to me. That's the kind of God we have. Thank you. He loves us so much that he simply says, turn around. Let go of that which you've been hiding. Let me come into the inner parts of your heart, of your life, the things that you're trying to keep hidden from everyone else. Give them to me, and I will give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. That's his invitation. Maybe there's something you're afraid that God will take. Remember that every good thing we have is from God alone. God will take things and relationships and behaviors that will keep us from growing closer to him and accomplishing his purpose and his will and enjoying his presence. But the exchange is 100% in our favor. When you give it up, you gain everything because we gain more of God and more of his plan and his purpose for our life. So are you willing to take a risk and let him in? to trust God, give him your secrets, give him the hidden part of your life, give him those fears. Today, he says, trust me with them. Don't stay at your tent door like Israel did. Don't be content to just be a part of the crowd, to just be in the congregation. Move closer. Well, the next category, the next group that we see are are the colleagues, the servant leaders. And this is portrayed by the 70 leaders of of Israel, along with Aaron and and a few others, um, that had a different relationship with God. They had a different experience with God, but there also was some limitations. Turn back in your Bible to Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 through 11. And this... Um, this is before Moses had gone up upon the mountain to receive, receive the law, but it was at the time when the, the people of God had heard God's requirements. He had already given them instructions, and, and they agreed to make a covenant with God, and they said, whatever you tell us to do, we will obey. And they consecrated that covenant with a meal. In a, in a sense, this is the precursor of the Lord's Supper. Because it was a celebration of a covenant, a covenant between God and his people, and it's incredibly beautiful. But look what it says here in Exodus chapter 24, beginning in verse 9. 
70 of the elders of Israel went up, that's to that, that, by that tent of meeting there on Mount, by Mount Sinai, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and they ate and drank. They shared a meal in God's presence. It was a communion kind of meal that was celebrating the covenant that the people of God had made with God himself. And in that celebration, these leaders saw a glimpse of God's glory that, that wasn't revealed just in the pillar of fire or the cloud. It was something greater. They saw, in essence, God's footstool. They saw this stone, this beautiful gemstone that was his footstool of heaven. And they were able to behold a glimpse of the greatness of God that the rest of Israel did not see. They were engaged in serving the Lord's purposes and he showed him more of who he was. When we serve God's purposes, he reveals more of himself to us as well. Serving God and his purposes brings a joy and a closeness with him that others who, who stand at the door of their own tent, of their own house, and say, I just want God from afar, will not experience. God wants us to behold his goodness and his glory. And if you've not found a place to serve in his kingdom, I urge you to begin to do so. Engage your life into his purposes. The greatest servant of all was Jesus himself. And he invites us to share in his loving heart and serve others as well. That's why I find it significant in the parallel here between this meal and the Lord's Supper because Jesus demonstrated his heart of service by washing the disciples' feet, by welcoming him into his presence. They were saved, but they needed to be cleansed just like we do because Jesus wants us to come closer. There are many places for you to serve. Here at ICP, um, you can get involved in Sunday school, on the worship team, the technical team, set up, greeting, working with Dignity Refugee Ministry, um, the homeless ministry. You can serve alongside of, of Ben and Carmina or one of the other meals that we have that go out each week. Um, you can get involved in a small group. You can ask the Lord what he would have you to do and start some ministry that, that doesn't exist yet. But ask the Lord what he would have you to do and get involved. Get involved because that's the heart of Jesus and he's inviting us to come closer. And his purpose, his plan is to work through us, his people. You're needed in his kingdom. You're needed in his church. And that may be the next step for you to begin to move closer is to get involved. But there's also a warning here because doing more is not the same as being united with Jesus through faith. We can do good things in our power, in our strength, and our flesh can actually lead us away from intimacy. So I'm not saying just do more and you'll be closer to God. I'm saying doing more can draw you closer, but you want to continually give your heart to him and do it in his power, in his, in his strength. The leaders of Israel in the wilderness 
when their faith was tested, even though they had seen this beautiful vision of God, they had, they, the, the scripture says that they beheld. That means they were able to gaze upon God's glory in a way that the other people didn't see it. They were given that incredible gift, and yet, when the people began to get restless, while Moses was up on the mountain, they allowed the people to break loose and sin against the Lord and make the golden calf and worship an idol. Because they were in charge. They were to safeguard the spiritual life of the rest of the people and they failed. This is one of the most sobering things that I can think of as a pastor. That if I don't live united with Christ, if I don't seek him with my whole heart, it can not only affect me and my family, but it can bring a burden and danger to his church. That's true of all of us because we are interconnected in Christ. And so the warning goes out and tells us we need to stay united with Christ. Here's what happened real quickly in Exodus chapter 32. Uh, It's exemplified by Aaron who was the leader of this group of 70 leaders. Exodus 32, one through six. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Just a few weeks after God had shown him the greatness of his power in delivering them out of slavery in Egypt, their trust wavered. And it not only wavered, they rebelled and said, fine, if God won't give us what we want, if we're not gonna hear more from him right away on our timetable, we're just gonna establish gods that we want in our own image. And that's a danger for each and every one of us. We have a tendency to try to recreate God in our likeness rather than in his or in the likeness of what we think he should be rather than who he has revealed himself to be in his word. And so that weakness of heart, even though they were serving, they weren't surrendering all that they were to God's purposes. And so it allowed a gap to happen in their own relationship with God and allowed rebellion to happen within God's people. So maybe that's, maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. Has the voice of others caused you to compromise your relationship with God? 
are the voices of the world and the desires of the flesh pushing you away from God through pride or jealousy, lust, fear, materialism, control. These sins will keep us from experiencing the goodness of God and ultimately leave us empty. But Jesus' invitation, again, is to turn around and come to him, to repent and find life in him. It's a caution to us all. But then there's the next category. Here is where life is found. The companion, Joshua. He has a totally different story. Out of two million Jewish people, only Joshua and Caleb, one out of a million, only those two were allowed to enter into the promised land. Of all the people that came out of Egypt, over two million, we don't know the exact number, but it's somewhere around that number. Out of all of those, only these two actually entered into the promised land. And the reason they did was because they um, lived with eyes of faith. When they were sent out as spies, they believed God rather than seeing the forces of the world around them. And what describes Joshua's life most powerfully is that he would not leave the tent of the presence. He was so interested in being in God's presence, even though he wasn't at that time the one God called to be the leader. He was simply serving Moses. He was so attracted to God and what God was doing, and he so beheld the greatness and wonder of God that he wouldn't leave. His life was consumed with God's glory. Now, now here's what you gotta really understand. Joshua is not some wimpy preacher, not some old man who's telling you what he thinks you should do. He's a warrior. He's the one who led Israel into battle after battle and victory after victory. He was a man who was mighty in strength, in character. And yet he said, the defining thing about my life is I will not leave the presence of God. That's what defined him. That's why he became the successor to Moses. That's why he is also an Old Testament representation of Jesus because Joshua is the same name as Jesus. It is both in Hebrew the name Yeshua. It is a foretaste, a picture of how God would deliver and bring salvation. Now, do you want to have that kind of intimacy with God? You can. It's simply a matter of will you choose to delight in him for who he is? I think his heart is reflected in Psalm chapter 27. It's a psalm of David, but I think it reveals the heart of Joshua so well. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. In other words, the priority of my life is this that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And when he says that, he's not referring about a church building. He's talking about the presence. In the the case of, of Joshua, it would have been that tent of meeting. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. 
He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. It is a life in God's presence that reflects that time in the tent of meeting that Joshua had. And it was defined by a heart that overflowed with praise and worship for God. That can be you. That can be me. We can enjoy God that much in that same way. He invites us to seek him with all that we are, to worship him, to love him, and to pursue him. And then the most intimate category is the confidant, Moses himself. Moses was not only God's friend. He shared God's heart and his plans. The Lord revealed himself to Moses. And the intimacy between God and Moses was absolutely amazing. We're going to look at this next week because what Moses asks of God is absolutely incredible when he says, show me your glory. And God honored his request. Here's my encouragement to you. When you come to a point where you desire God that much, and you pursue him that intently, he will show you his glory. May not be in the same way that he showed it to Moses, but he will reveal more and more of who he is to you because God delights in you. Now, I don't have time today to kind of go through the steps. We'll look at that more next week, but I put in your bulletin um, seven different steps that help us grow in intimacy with God. And the first one there is, is choose to desire God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Desire him for himself as a person that can be known. Delight yourself in him. Begin with thankfulness for who he is and what he has done because we delight in him as a person. The enjoyment of God is the enjoyment of a person, not just the enjoyment of a thing or an idea or a pattern of actions or some mysterious force. The ultimate joy of God's creatures is joy in his person, in God himself. And this is exactly why Jesus died. He didn't die just to give you a get-out-of-hell-free card. He died so that you could be united to him. He rose again and is now interceding for us before the throne of the Father so that we can live united with him. We can experience the position he's already won for us. That's why Apostle Peter says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Not just someday in heaven, but united with him now. And it comes from learning to delight in God as a person. That's why the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all that we are is because that is where life is found. And maybe that's a hard thing for you to do right now. And so let me just give you, in closing, this one thing to begin with. When you're trying to get to know another person, when you're trying to establish a relationship, it sometimes, it certainly helps to get to know who they are, what they're interested in, what their plans are. That's why we want to delight ourselves in God's word. It's what Psalms 1 says. Um, 
Blessed is the man who walketh not in the, uh, the way of the ungodly, nor, and I'm doing this from memory so I, I could mess it up, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it he meditates day and night. His joy is in listening to God's voice, not in studying a book, but in listening to what God says. So we begin there, but it also helps to discover how much the other person is interested in us, especially with God. When you begin to see how much God delights in you, the only way you'll be able to respond is to go, God, I love you and I want more of you. Listen to what God says. And if you really want to know how he feels about you, there are some key passages I want to encourage you to read. Number one is Isaiah chapter 43, verses one through seven, where God says, I've called you by name. I delight in you. You are precious in my sight. You are loved. Isaiah 43, one through seven. Another great passage is the Psalm I can't talk today. Song of Solomon. It is a love song of a man for his bride and a bride for her groom. And ultimately, it is a parable of God's love for us. And here's another more compressed version of that. It's found in Isaiah 62. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. When God looks at you, he sees a vision of you dressed in white. Not your own clothes, but the clothes of Jesus Christ in righteousness. And he sees you walking down the aisle in Christ, and he says, I want to be united with you. Isn't that cool? Now, I, thank you. Thank you. Now, I know for guys, that's harder for us to get our minds around. So if you're married, you just got to turn it around and, and remember seeing your own wife at the end of the aisle walking towards you. And you go, for some unimaginable reason, she wants to be united with me. It, I've always, Becky, um, my wife, my bride is, um, <laughs> has struggled all of her adult life with epilepsy. And, and I always figured that part of the reason why she decided to marry me was the drugs. I mean, just all honesty, I figured there was something because she was seeing something in me that I didn't think was there. And yet she's delighted in me for over 35 years. God delights in you. Church, I pray that you'll grab that, that you'll believe that, that God delights in you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would, you would take your word and you would bring it to life. Lord, there are those here that do not yet know you, and I pray today, Lord, they would just surrender themselves and they would call upon the name of Jesus. Or would you prompt them just to, right where they are, say, Jesus, I want to know you. I know I have no relationship outside of you. I know I'm a sinner. Would you save me? Lord, I just pray you'd prompt them to do that and then, and then to share it with, with one of us after the service so we can encourage them. Lord, for others, 
Lord, that have a relationship with you, Lord, would you help us to evaluate our own heart where we are with you? And Lord, would you enable us by the the power of your Holy Spirit and by the work of Jesus Christ to move closer, to determine that we're not gonna be content staying where we are. We're not gonna be content standing at the door and seeing you from afar, but we're gonna invite you into our heart and we're gonna pursue you with all that we are. Lord, would you make that a reality in our midst? Because if you do that, we'll see Jesus be lifted up. We'll see more and more people be drawn to a faith relationship with you. We'll see a transformation happen in marriages, in families, a transformation happen in relationships because you are our yes and amen in every aspect of life. So Lord, would you do a work in us for your name's sake. We pray it by the power of Jesus' name and for his honor. Amen.